0: Name your group, not just any group, your group. That's the advice John Wesley would give us, but more importantly, it's the advice Jesus would give us. Jesus created a small group, and he called each of them by name, and we know them. There's Simon, who he renamed Peter, there's his brother Andrew, there's James, and John, also brothers, Philip, and Bartholomew, who is also Nathaniel. There's Matthew, who's also Levi. There's Thomas. There's another James, who's the son of Alphaeus. Um, There's another Simon, who is the zealot. And there's two Judases. There's Judas, the son of James, and there's Judas Iscariot. He named them. They were his group. They were buds, besties, traveling companions. It was an important part of what Jesus set out to do. Last week, um, our our sermon, the advice that uh, John Wesley and more importantly Jesus gave was to slip away, find the quiet place. Jesus would always slip away uh, to some mountain to pray, sometimes all night. John Wesley became a person who was passionate about private prayer. Um, and both of them would say that when we slip away, when we find the quiet place, like that's where we also find God, and that's where we hear God call us by name. And that's really important. Um, now um, what I'm about to say might seem a little sideways and it might even feel a little blasphemous, but I'm going to say it anyway because I really believe that it's true. Is that that is not enough. Like that quiet slipping away with God is not enough. God is not enough. <laughs> we need more. And I believe this because when, when we recall the creation story, which we do often, um, we see that God created us for more. So um, in the beginning God speaks and, and, and you know, things happen. There's sun and there's moon and God steps back and says it's good. And there's, there's galaxies, there's land, there's water. God sees the the whale, and the great white shark, and the elephant, and and the giraffe, and the birds, and a mouse, and God steps back and calls it good, and you know, God sees the the oak tree, and the pine tree, and beets, (laughs) and God says it's good. And then God creates the human, and maybe you know the story. God creates the human and steps back and says, for the first time in the whole story, it's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone, is what God says. And so when you, when you take this, this situation that, that Adam finds himself in, um, he's got everything that we chase after, and everything is perfect for him. Uh, first of all, he's perfect. There is... Um, no sin in the world, no sin in his heart. There's intimacy. He's walking with God through the garden. Uh, just Adam and God. <laughs> he has all power. God has, has given dominion over all things. He has all wealth. like it's, it's his stuff. The perfect environment. we just came off Earth Day. We're always aware of, of our caring for our planet. Like it's perfect, there's no smog, there's no pollution, it's pristine. Like that's what Adam has. And yet, God looks at all that and says, it's not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. So, I not only need to hear God calling my name, I need to hear you calling my name. Well, in the winter of 1729, John Wesley, his brother Charles, a guy named William Morgan and Bob Kirkham started a small group and they would meet every week, several times actually, and what they would do is together they would um, pray, they would search the scriptures, they would study, uh, not just the Bible but, but, but classic spiritual literature. They would attend chapel. They would, they would worship together on a regular basis. They would have communion together every week. Um, they were so intense, like uh, rigorous about this per- pursuit of holiness um, that the other students at Oxford would call them names. You know, they're uh, the Bible moths, the Holy Club, uh, the Methodists, and that one stuck <laughs> because of, of their method of, of going about things. Um, later... Uh, John Wesley would write about these early days and he actually said and wrote that that this was the first rise of Methodism. The small group. The small group was a thing. It's interesting how it started. The the Methodist movement as people were coming to faith in Christ um, they would find themselves in a, a society, the United Societies, and to have an idea of what that was like, it would be probably like one of our smaller congregations. I'm not sure how big these societies would get. You know, were they hundred people? Were they two hundred people? Were they more than that? Um, but that's how they were. That's how they were gathering, and so they got to where they were starting to build their own preaching houses or or meeting spaces, kind of like the way we would would build a church. Well, there was a a meeting house in Bristol uh, for for the society there and um, they built it and they had this debt and they're trying to figure out how are we gonna pay off this debt? Um, Well, uh, this one guy, Captain Foy was his name. He had the great idea. like, what if we uh, divided the societies into these smaller groups of, you know, eight to 12 people? Then there'll be a leader for each of these smaller groups who will go around every week and collect one penny from, from these groups, from each person. And that way we'll retire the debt for this building quickly. Like that's what it was. They divided into small groups to take up the offering to pay off the debt. Well what happened as these leaders who had been you know, chosen to go around um, each week and collect the penny from each member of this small group, they discovered that there were problems, like these Methodist people who were now gathered in these you know, small congregations, they were having trouble um, keeping the general rules. They were having trouble uh, being faithful. They knew the general rules. Now, the general rules are what kind of Wesley put together. It's like, this is a plan of discipleship that he just called the general rules. There were three things, Uh, do no harm, uh, do good. And the third one was to attend to the ordinances of God, which were the things like worship, private prayer, family prayer, searching the scriptures, taking communion, fasting, abstinence, uh, those things. So these leaders were coming to get the penny and they would encounter things like disputes, husband and wives bitterly quarreling, um, find some of them you know, completely laid out drunk, you know, stuff like that. And so there was this, this great concern that Methodist people knew the general rules, but they were having a real hard time um, living faithful. And so that's what gave Wesley the idea that these these small groups, what they would call the class meeting, uh, could become something entirely different altogether. Uh, The leader then became a person who, kind of looked after the souls of this group, but each group member, they gathered um, not to study the Bible or to to do some kind of curriculum as much as to watch over one another in love, uh, to to look out uh, for their souls. And it was the class meeting. And as this Methodist movement and revival was just flaming everywhere, these, these Methodists who were coming to faith, were not only uh, hearing God call them by name, they found themselves in this circle where other people knew their name too. And it's interesting to me. You know, we've talked about John Wesley's upbringing last week and the influence of his dad and, and of his mom, Susanna. Well, one of the things that Susanna Wesley would do every single week with all of her kids is she would spend an hour with them. And so she would ask them about their faith. They would talk about matters of faith. She would ask them about their their fears, but she would also ask them about their their hopes and their dreams. And she would inquire, how is it with your soul? Which is the very question uh, that Wesley brought into these groups, uh, where where members of these groups uh, would, would ask this question and listen intently of the importance of the accountability the importance of the friendship that we see in in Jesus' life in ministry too. Well, there's this crazy story. I had no idea that Samuel and Susanna Wesley, uh, John's parents, were were having marital issues, and it was over politics. Samuel uh, was all about William the Orange, who was to be the new king. Um, Susanna would have none of it. Samuel was like to Susanna, you need to pray for our new king. and She's like, no, I won't do it. She disobeyed her husband, which was no small thing. The cool thing, though, is, you know, Samuel uh, let her be her. I don't think he said, you know, you just do you. Um, there, were, there were problems there re- regarding uh, the political situation. Um, she wouldn't pray for the new king, um, William of Orange, George of Orange, something like that, um, because she felt that King James II had been unlawfully usurped. And so Samuel's like, well, this is a problem. We can't have two kings. If we have two kings, we have to have separate beds. Um, like, whoa. And so he leaves. And he's on his way to London. They're separated. Isn't that crazy? And Samuel begins traveling with another pastor. And this other pastor says, you know, dude, you probably didn't say that, but you've got to give this another shot. You've got to go home. You've got to try again. So clearly, Samuel shared his soul, opened his heart with this uh, this fellow pastor on the journey to London. And this other pastor um, listened and gave some advice and he took it. He turned around and he went home. But he was kind of pretending. His heart wasn't in it. He was faking it. Um, But then a fire happened. This is a different fire. This is six years before the fire we talked about last week. And so this fire um, decided it for Samuel. He's like, you know what? I've got to stay. I've got to take care of my family. Uh, And so he did. Uh, He reconciled with Susanna, who earlier over the whole king thing, uh, when Samuel said, you need to repent and and ask forgiveness, and Susanna's like, not going to do it. He reconciled with her, and less than one year later, (laughs) John Wesley was born. Isn't that nuts? So, the small group is important because we connect with each other in those ways, but there's another layer to it too, and and we see this in Wesley's life um, and the things that he taught, Um, and that's what we, we find in the danger of a single story. Like, we're, we're in trouble when we're on our own. Um, when we're going about it on our own alone, but also when we're walking around with our own convictions and our own beliefs, when those go unchecked, especially if you're a person with authority and with power. Have you noticed um, the people that Jesus picked to be His disciples? Like, they were radically different. Some of these names that that we remembered earlier we don't really know much about at all, um, but we know that James and John were, were probably affluent because their father Zebedee had um, had servants in the boat when Jesus called them away. Uh, we know that Matthew or Levi was a tax collector, um, and he got his wealth kind of from you know uh, robbing from other people. So you got to wonder about the relationships. What was, the, what was the, the, the garnering of taxes like with Matthew and, and some of the other fishermen and, and, uh, and others in the boat? You had um, Simon the Zealot. Uh, you had Judas Iscariot, who was probably of the same ilk. There would have been political differences. The Zealots were a political party. So here you have Jesus. And we know about Jesus' life and his passion and what he came to do. Uh, loving for and caring for the poor. Uh, to be a person of peace. Surrounding himself with maybe a robber and, and certainly revolutionaries. They were radically different. And so when we're naming our group, I think that's one thing that we've learned uh, around here at First United Methodist. That it's important that we surround ourselves with people who aren't exactly like us. People that we maybe radically disagree with. That we come to the table and we get to know each other. Uh, that we can be the church together, we can be a circle of friends together even when we're really different in in a lot of different ways. Um, So John Wesley and his good friend George Whitfield, like they had a very interesting relationship. George Whitfield became a part of that early small group. He became an amazing preacher. In fact, you know, if Wesley preached to thousands, George Whitfield preached to the tens of thousands. Um, but they had radical differences in their theology. Um, and uh, they would have these, these passionate disagreements. They, you know, the relationship was rocky at times, um, but, but they never parted as friends. They were always able to, to see the call of God on their lives and to, and to go after it together. You know. So John Wesley is, is memorializing um, George Whitfield. I, I want to read to you what he says. There are many doctrines of a less essential nature. In these we may think and let think. We may agree to disagree. But meantime, let us hold to the essentials. And someone said that it was Wesley who coined this term, that, that this is probably the first time at least that it appears in writing that we'll a- agree to disagree. And that's one of the gifts that Wesley gives us is an ability to hold to your convictions, uh, but, but still remain in connection with those who are different from us. To me that's part of what it means to be Methodist, that we're better together. Uh, John Wesley, you know, he never gave an altar call. I found that to be interesting. You know, at the end of a sermon, invite people down to the altar uh, and and respond to the movement of the Spirit. Altar calls actually weren't a thing for another hundred years. But you know what John Wesley would do at the end of a sermon? Uh, Two things he would say uh, to to the crowd who had just heard uh, the sermon. You need to flee from the wrath to come. And you need to join a small group. John Wesley knew that when you gathered with people who could call you by name in a class meeting, in what we call a journey group, that you're going to grow and that there's going to be a lot of grace. I want to end this sermon um, like Wesley. Maybe not say flee from the wrath to come, but flee from the sin and darkness that's in your life and, and run into the arms of God and come to this table where God meets us. And I want to invite you to to be in a journey group. I want you to name your group. I believe that's the advice Wesley would give us in these days when we're trying to navigate through all the challenges uh, in in our United Methodist Church, um, that regardless of uh, where we're standing and what we believe and and who we are, um, that we come together in that. I want to help you get a group. So here's a little commercial at the end of this sermon. On Wednesday, May the 24th at 6.30 in the Faith Classroom, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Methodist class meeting and FUMC journey groups, uh, what they look like um, and and why you should get involved in one and uh, how you can get involved in one. And so we come to this table together and we pray. God of grace and mercy, we confess to you that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have not loved our neighbor. We have not heard the cry of the needy. We have not been faithful stewards of creation. Forgive us, we pray, O Lord. Free us for joyful obedience. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on us, gathered here, in this space, in all of our spaces. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this gift of bread and wine, and that you would make it be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit, make us one with each other, one with you, and one in ministry to all the world, till Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. All glory and honor is yours O Lord as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ given for you. Amen.